On January the 29th, uh, from 5.30 to 7.30, we're going to have an evening of prayer here at the church. And uh, meant to do this kind of earlier in the month, but between scheduling stuff here at the church and what have you, we, we've, we're, we're doing it this the 29th from 5.30 to 7.30. It's going to be a potluck. We want you to bring food to share and be time of fellowship for the first part. And the second part, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the mission and the vision of our church. I don't think I need to remind you this, but let me just say it anyway. Um, Things don't happen here at the church because of competent leadership, although don't want want to put that down. We don't go around trying to find incompetent people, but uh, (laughs) just saying. Um, Things don't happen here at the church because of competent people. Things don't happen here at the church. Ministry is not driven by exciting programs, although nothing's wrong with that. We're in kingdom business, and God drives his kingdom through spiritual initiative and through prayer and faith and trusting him and believing him. And uh, I just feel led along with the leaders here at the church that we need to call our body together. We've got some exciting vision, things that we're believing God for, and uh, we, 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 want, we want to see him breathe on these things and translate this vision of reality uh, we want to see more baptisms. We want to see more people coming to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. We want to see our body released. We want to see people here experiencing joy and victory. We, we, we want to see us all looking more like Jesus and, and moving down the discipleship pathway. So discipleship is not just a little slogan or something we talk about. It's an organic, dynamic reality. And the Spirit of God has got to do that, and he answers, uh, uh, he answers our prayer. If you believe that, say Amen. Amen. So uh, we want to have as many of you as possible to come and join us. 5.30 to 7.30, hard stop. It's not the same as the same day this is Super Bowl. I checked on that uh, <laughs> just, to, just to make sure. Okay. Well, it's great. Great to see you all here. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Holy Father, thank you so very much for your goodness and your grace in our lives. And thank you for what you mean to us. And thank you, Father, for the power of your word. And uh, Lord, as I stand here today, I, I also feel led to pray for my colleagues and friends and thousands of pastors this week and next week across the country will be preaching on and celebrating life, the sanctity of life. And we pray that the Spirit of God would hover over us and that you'll speak to our hearts and speak to the hearts of your people. God, just move in a great way, we pray. We love you, Lord, and thank you for all that you mean and for what you, what you can and will do. Our hope is in you, Father. Our hope is not ultimately in, in government and in politicians, although they have a role, but our hope is in you. So, Father, we pray that you'll speak to us and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, as I said, is... Uh, the Sanctity of Life celebration. Actually, uh, as you go online, there are two days. Some are celebrating this day and some are celebrating next week. And today I want to talk about the celebration of life. We're going to get back to the series of the Holy, on the Holy Spirit next week. Um, and I'm glad we're celebrating. We chose to celebrate today. And I'm glad we're celebrating it today because it fits with King's holiday. You say, how in the world does it fit with King's holiday? Well, the celebration of life is anchored in the whole concept or the whole, the whole impetus of the civil rights movement. What brings them both together is the idea and concept of dignity, of dignity. 
and you're going to hear me say this throughout the message, but every life has dignity. Dignity. And so as we celebrate, as we celebrate today the sanctity of life, we're celebrating all of life. All of life. As you saw in the video, and one of the reasons why we chose this video is because we really believe that the video really puts the whole issue of the sanctity of life, the whole issue of abortion, if you will, the whole issue of pro-life where it needs to be. And I'm going to come back to this later in the message. The whole issue of pro-life is not necessarily isolated to the issue of abortion. To be pro-life is a worldview, it's a theology that means that we value all of life, all of it, from conception to the grave. And we'll see in a few moments as I look at two classic passages of scripture what that, what that looks like. I'm going to tell you where I'm going today. I want to do kind of three things in this message. The very first part of the message, I want to talk about the basis of life and look at two classic passages uh, in, in, in the Psalms uh, that speaks of uh, one, our value to God, and number two, God's vision for life, literally biological vision for human life from Psalm 139. And then I want to say a few words about the sanctity of life, which comes out of those statements implied in, in that. And at the, at the end, I want to give sort of uh, summary conclusions. I've got four or five things that I, I like to say. Now, let me say this up front here, because this is, this is the issue. Some of us get very nervous when we talk about these issues of abortion and, and, and life um, because it's very close to home. And uh, I'm not naive, and, and, you know, with the statistics and all the stuff floating around. To be honest with you, there are any number of us, and we hear about this. There's any number of women right here, right here today, who have had abortions, considerable number of the guys sitting here today uh, who have encouraged girlfriends or wives or whatever to have an abortion. And uh, there is a lot of shame uh, because of that. You did it for various reasons, unwanted pregnancy, shame, guilt, et cetera, pressure, whatever it might be. And uh, I'm not going to mince my words today. I'm going to speak truth today. And because it would be wrong for me to back away from that, simply because, not simply, I I acknowledge the fact that some of us have been through that experience. But what I want you to hear me say today is this. Listen to me. Listen to me. There, There is no sin that any of us has ever committed that's greater than Calvary and the empty tomb. Not one. And, the, and, and God's grace and forgiveness is there. And if you have turned from that sin and repented of that, it is, it, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. And so you need to take what is said today and put it in your hope arsenal. Of this is the way we should live and how I should view these things from now on. Don't listen to the enemy to get up and walk out. Some have done that, by the way, on these Sundays. Or you know, close it down or think to yourself, how dare you talk about these private matters? Well, it's not a private matter. God speaks about it very publicly. Life is not a pri- private issue, even though it may have hit us where we are. So I wanted to just, just, just allay those, those concerns there. One of the hopeful things about this whole abortion side of things that, that uh, um, we're seeing a trend that is actually decreasing uh, since 1990. 1990 was the apex or uh, the high of abortions, and that year alone, 1.6 million conservatively people had, women had abortions. Well, 
the number of abortions performed annually in the U.S. has dropped to around one million a year, and apparently that trend is going in the right direction. Now, it's interesting that you would think, well, you know, I mean, why is it turned around? Has has administrations uh, done something about it? No, it, it? You know, it should be going in the other way uh, because of the policies of certain administrations, and yet despite that, it's going in the other way. I think there's a number of factors for that, not the least of which I think that the churches have made it an issue and a cause. And frankly, that more have preached on it, rightfully so. And let me just say this. Um, there's a lot of hope that we put in Washington. Uh, But the truth of the matter is, uh, Washington has not been able to change the moral fabric of this country uh, in my lifetime, whether it's been Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, Nixon, all the way through. Washington has not been able to change the moral fiber of the country, okay? They've not been able to do that. And so I think we need to be very, very careful in setting our hope on administrations to do what only God can do. I actually think that if there was a move of the Spirit of God and we became courageous about what the Bible said and actually start acting upon that, that we would put moral character pressure on White House and and the Congress and the Supreme Court. Quite frankly, I don't know that, you know, maybe they will not overturn Roe v. Wade, but I don't know that 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 that's the issue. I think the greater issue is that believers who believe this book start living, living this book and living what this book says and modeling it and understanding where power for change comes from. It comes from the empty, empty tomb. Now, according to a study conducted by the Guttmacher Institute between 2008 and 2014, and again, this is not good news, uh, but this is to identify the reality of these things. Between 2008 and 2014, 54% of the women getting abortions identified themselves as Christians. Which is to say, I mean, it doesn't surprise me if you've been around. The truth of the matter is, no matter who you read, Guttmeyer, others, Barner, what have you, there is not, uh, on many issues from a moral, behavioral, lifestyle perspective, this is sad, there's not a whole lot of difference between those of us who profess to be followers of Christ and those who don't. And so this is is a challenge to us right now. And these Christian women, they they get abortions for various reasons. And I I just, I said said uh, something about that a few moments ago, whether it's shame, whether it's guilt, uh, uh, pressure from boyfriends, other men, or whatever it might be. In fact, the truth of the matter is, I have talked to, young people who felt pressure from parents, Christian parents, to get an abortion because it made uh, them look bad. And so it's a real thing. It's a real issue that we have to deal with. Now the point that I'm gonna make today is it's not a hidden point, and that is that life is sacred. All, all of life is sacred. And let me just say right up front, we do not determine, we do not determine what life or which life is sacred. Here's where we have a philosophical difference, okay? 
no one has the right to determine, even if it's in your own body, whether or not a life will thrive or die. That is not a decision that's left in our hands. Contrary to what our politicians or others might say, it sounds so very kind, it sounds so very warm and so very affirming that it's your right to choose. No, it is not your right to choose. And we're going to see this in a few moments. The Bible is very, very clear. We are the stewards of life, but we're not the creator of life. We carry life, God initiates life. We bear life, but God sends life. So life is not left up to us. And that's where, that's where we differ. If we are followers of Jesus Christ and we say that we have a biblical worldview, then our biblical worldview collides with that nice sounding stuff that says that it's my right to choose. No, it is not. There are consequences. Now, having said that, let me speak about the basis of life. I could be here for several weeks. In a very real sense, Genesis to Revelation is about life. It's all about life. But I want to talk about the basis of life. First of all, I want to underscore the value of life. And that's that great text from Psalm 8, where David assails the incredible value, value of life. I want to look at verses 3 through 6 just very briefly here. What David points out, our incredible value, the first thing that he says is that we are the focus of God's attention. Look at verse 3. It says, when I look at the star, I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. That's poetic. David says, when I stand back and I, I look at the stars, I look at the moon, I look at the massive things that you've created, I look at the mountains, all of these incredible wonders. He says, what is man? In fact, the Hebrew is more, is more specific here. It, it, literally, it says in Hebrew, what is frail man? All of this display of your power and all of this display of your glory, all that you've done, what is frail man? Then he says that you are mindful of him. Sometimes the English doesn't help us there. To be mindful, it doesn't mean to remember that the word mindful here literally means your mind is full of him. That we have God's undivided, focused attention. And he says that you would care for him. That you would care for him. We're the focus of God's attention, we occupy his mental attention. Just think of the illustration of the gospel that God would, would not spare his only son to die on the cross in our place and for our sin to take care of our sin problem, to give us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to give us the privilege of prayer. All of this to say, don't you know I think about you all the time? All the time. Secondly, we are the apex of God's creation. Verse 5 says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings 
and crowned him with glory and honor. God has crowned human beings with glory and honor. Now, the expression glory and honor refers to attributes of dignity. Attributes of dignity. It also is a, ref- is a reference or allusion to the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, the image of God. Um, some of you have heard me preach on this before, but the whole idea of the image of God is, is far more comprehensive than we even realize. It's not just as God is a person, we have, we're, we're, we're a person. I talked about the personality of the Holy Spirit, intellect, emotion, and will last week. It's not just that. It's more than that. There, there, and this, this takes my breath away. This takes my breath. It, it, there, there's something about uniquely God and the Godhead that's, that's stamped on every human being, every last one of us. Glory and honor. That dignity has been marred, that dignity has been messed up, that dignity has been demonized, that dignity has been all, the sin has, but, but in, inside of every human being, every human being, inherent in every human being, is glory and honor, dignity. Thirdly, our value reflects the fact that we are the stewards of God's creation. Not only are we the focus of attention and the apex of God's creation, right up there, no one comes close to us, animals, nothing. But thirdly, we're the stewards of God's creation. Where do you get that from? Verse six says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. Hell, that's, that's your value. We, 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 God gives us his focused attention. We're the apex of his creation. Not only that, we don't worship Mother Earth. We have been called, created, to control and steward the environment. All that's here, all that's a part of this world. Now that's just one snapshot in terms of what God sees in us, our value. So as you talk about life and you talk about these decisions as to whether or not I should end life or terminate an unwanted pregnancy, and all, I, I just, you, we just need to keep in mind, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? What are, we, what are we talking about here? The second thing I want us to see here from a biblical foundation is God's vision biologically for life. Where do you get that from? Well, you know, if you probably go to, if you could go to 10, 15 churches today, I'd say if you go to 10 churches today, about probably eight of them will reference Psalm 139. <laughs> Because this is the hallmark passage in terms of in one place where we have the vision of God biologically for life. His vision. The very first thing he says is that life is formed in the womb. I know if you had biology 101 or thought about the birds and bees, big deal. Okay, well listen to these words. Verse 13 says, for you formed my inward parts 
you knitted me together in my mother's womb. The idea of knitted together is the idea of, 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 of that you've, you, God has fashioned us with care and purpose. Every last one of us. Even those, those of us who, who you know, the, the special needs kids. Those who are born with deformities. It's not accidents. God was in that. God was in it. There's a purpose that he has. There's a plan that he has. These are not mistakes. And I think, and I'll say this a little bit later, it's, it's arrogant for people to go around talking about, well, you know, we need, there's not viability there, or what kind of quality of life will this baby have, or what kind of thing, Oops, seriously? No, the text says that he, he knitted us together. He set us apart, number two, for God's purposes. That's what verse 14 is all about. He says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, the, 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 the word made there in Hebrew could have been translated, I'm fearfully and wonderfully set apart. Unfortunately, some of these English words, we, we, we've, we've uh, sort of like, you know, um, taken the, 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 the focus meaning from them. For example, wonderful, wonderful to us. We say anything's wonderful. It's like awesome or whatever. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. But when you use the expression fearfully and wonderfully made, the implication is this. The way I am made, the way I am put together is a statement of worship. It is a reflection of the design of the maker, the creator, God himself. How I was put together in my mother's womb is a statement of awe and wonder to, to be, when you see a baby or you hear the heartbeat or you see a sonogram or whatever, our hearts should move toward God. How wonderful he is. And that's God's vision. That's what he sees. Not just some mass. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. It's frightening how in intentional and intricate God was and is in the creation of human life. Thirdly, third vision statement is that our development is ordered by God. Verses 15 and 16 says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Most scholars believe the expression depths of the earth is, is, is a figure for the mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Your eyes saw. That's little poetry there. Doesn't mean that he just saw what was happening. It means that he superintended that development. My unformed substance, the expression unformed substance is a reference to an embryo. You'd put the death that old argument that life begins when the baby's born. That's not true. Life begins at conception, and the Bible clearly teaches that. 
from the time the sperm enters the egg, that's life. My unformed substance is the embryo, and that's life. And that's what God sees. And then finally, our days are established by God. That's the second part of verse 16. You saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. What is God saying here? He says, look, all your days are established by God. In other words, when you were born, you were born with an, with an expiration uh, date stamped on us, every last one of us. Every last one of us were born with an expiration date. I don't know when it is. You don't know when yours is. But we were born with an expiration date. And this hints at divine purpose. That God has a plan for every, every, every human being. Yes, from conception until God calls you home. That's the reason why you cannot a la carte life. You cannot a la carte pro-life issues. You just can't say that pro-life has to do with the abortion clinics and this kind of thing. And don't get me wrong, that's, that's, uh, the saving of life is huge. But this text tells us that this is a theology, a biblical basis for all of life. All of it is valuable. We're created in his image. God has made a statement. So let me just say a few words then about the sanctity of life itself. The fact that life itself is holy. And the reason why it's holy is that it's a reflection of the image of God. And that's my first statement. A person who is pro-life must believe in the dignity of every human life. It's a contradiction in terms to say that you're pro-life, but you don't care about racism, you don't care about injustice, you don't care about people who are being manipulated. That's a contradiction in terms. You cannot be pro-life. Pro-life is not just about the abortion movement. Pro-life is seeing life from God's perspective and God's point of view. You got to care about life from conception until death. So to be concerned about life means that I enhance the dignity of everyone's life. Everyone's life. And I, and I just have to tell you this. This is one of the things that I, I, I struggled with, with with the early beginnings of the pro-life movement. Because, it, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I, I, you know, uh, we need to speak justice and stop, stop people from killing babies. Don't get me wrong. But some of these folks couldn't be found with other issues. So I want to encourage all of us, if we say that we are pro-life, well, be pro-life. Be pro-life. It is enhancing the dignity of all of life and not just making uh, choices or decisions. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, the person needs to live, and we need to stand up and speak up for those who are unborn. Second thing I would say is that the sanctity of life means that humanity is more sacred than the rest of creation. It means that humanity is more sacred than the rest of creation. Now, you know, I love animals. I love, I love dogs and all of this. And, you know, I grew up with Snowball, who was a Spitz. And, you know, and Snowball was my brother. Uh, not really. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I, I get it when we say they're part of the family. This kind of like dog and our cat. I don't see how you can get a cat. It's probably, never mind. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry about that. I, I don't like cats. I, mean, you know, 
<laughs> you know, uh, but, but, you know, we got to be careful with our nomenclature. No, 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 no. We are the apex of his creation. We, we're, we're at the top. And the sanctity of life means that humanity is sacred, more sacred than everything else and everything else in his creation. Jesus didn't die for Fifi. I'll I'll hear about that, believe me. (laughs) Number three, because life is sacred, we are called to protect it and enhance it. Listen to me. By very definition, to be pro-life means that you're committed to justice. By very definition. By very definition, to say that I am pro-life means that I'm committed to justice comprehensively to be pro-life means that 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 i'm called to protect life and to enhance life pro-life is not theoretical it means that i stand up for the unborn i stand up for the powerless i stand up for the disenfranchised i speak up for those whenever i possibly can why because it is the nature of biblical christianity it's not a political view it's not an emphasis in society it is the nature of this book to stand up for what is right and to protect that which is right so to be pro life means that i protect and i enhance all of life Now, there's some things related to this. I think, number one, one of the reasons why we have difficulty protecting all life is that some of us don't value our own lives. We need to know ourselves and value our own life. And all these young people murdering folks and what have you, these... Uh, you know, this is just opinion here, and you can do with it whatever you want, want to. But when a generation of people grows up in a country that devalues life, what do you expect them to do? What do you expect? Euthanasia? Grandma's getting older, she's got Alzheimer's, you know, she's a little burden to care, care for it, all this money, insurance, stuff like this. What about quality of life? Let's offer. That's the kind thing to do. You see, these things have implications here. I'm not being some wide-eyed extremist when I make these statements. They have implications in terms of how we view other people. And if I don't view myself and I don't value life the way God says, what makes you think I'm going to care about you? Secondly, we have to view others through God's eyes. See them through God's eyes. See them through the prism of Scripture. See them that way. God cares about all of life. I'm going to have to view it that way. And then, of course, I've alluded to this already. Speak and act on behalf of others who cannot speak and act for themselves. That's what this is all about. That baby, that that baby in that mother's womb has no voice. Has no voice. Who's going to speak for that baby? 
Who's going to speak up for these teenage or preteen girls who are getting caught up in sex trafficking? Who's going to speak up for them? Who's going to speak up for these fatherless boys? No accountability, needing the love of a man. It's going to speak up for them. See, to be pro-life is more comprehensive than we, we sometimes think. But if we value life the way our Father values it, then we need to speak up. Well, let me land the plane on this. Here's some summary conclusions I want to share with you. I've said this probably half a dozen times already, but the first summary conclusion is that we have been created in the image of God. You, you need to sit and mire in that for a while. Sometimes as a preacher, I, I think we say things so often that the, those concepts lose meaning. We have been created in the image of God, my unformed substance in the image of God. Glory and honor, the image of God. Secondly, every life is a gift from God. Every life. Every life. And again, as I said, we got to be careful of our arrogance, the audacity to think that we determine the viability of lives. Every life is created in the image of God. Every last one of them. It's meaning, value, importance, destiny, purpose. Every life. And thirdly, and I camp on this one for a second, to protect life is to give the opportunity to flourish. I wasn't going to share this. I shared this with our, we had a worship team meeting on Tuesday morning, and the team asked me to share this, and I, I've not shared this publicly, but I want to, I will now. Uh, most of you know, many of you who know a little bit about our family know that our youngest daughter, Holly, uh, is adopted. I've shared that before. But what I didn't know, what Karen and I did not realize was uh, <laughs> this, about a little more than a year ago, Karen and I were speaking at an event in the city, uh, the town where Holly was born. And um, the couple, the older couple, who were the foster parents for Holly where, when we adopted her, they were at the event. We, we knew them, and, and uh, so it was just great to see them. But we also had known that Holly had four foster homes. She was in four foster homes by the time she was a year old. Okay. So this older couple gets Holly. And they told us this story. They said, you know, we never told you this, but um, we were told by some specialists that Holly would may, may have some learning disabilities and some challenges uh, 
uh, because she was not very communicative. Now, how do you conclude that from an 18-month-old? I don't know. And as they told us that, Karen and I looked at each other and we both began to cry. I share this for the glory of God. Not only did Holly not have learning disabilities, when she graduated from high school near the top of her class, she won almost all the academic awards. She went to undergraduate school on a full ride. She went to medical school on a full ride. And now she's delivering babies. So, give these children an opportunity to survive. We're not God. And the shame of what you've done, if you do right, could be the pathway to impact. We've got to give these children the opportunity to thrive, protect them, do all that we possibly can to to help them. Fourthly, life and justice are not private personal concerns. Did you hear what I just said? Life and justice are not private personal concerns. It's not just my body. Doing right by people is a public concern because they bear, again, the image of God. And we will be held accountable for disregarding, damaging, or attacking that that image. And uh, the final thing that I would say here, number five, is to end a life is to take the place of God. To end a life is to take the place of God. And some might say, well, Crawford, that means that uh, capital punishment is wrong. No, just the opposite. Just the opposite. God cares so much about life that he instituted capital punishment. That's what Genesis 9, 6 is all about, that if you shed blood by man's blood, okay, because I value life so much, you take that person's life. As I wrap this up, I want you to, uh, in your worship folder, you have this uh, material here that says the sanctity of life. And I want you to take a look at this. And by all means, uh, as, as a couple, or individuals, a family, or so, pray over the things, the prayer requests that are given there. And there are all kinds of suggestions here as to how we can, how we can get involved. The other thing I'd like to say, too, is that tomorrow is... is uh, we celebrate King's birthday. And yet, what we're celebrating is larger than Martin Luther King Jr., to be honest with you. In fact, in the sovereignty and providence of God, God used Martin Luther King Jr. in extraordinary ways. Um, the civil rights movement has had an impact on all of us in ways that we're not even conscious of or aware of. Truth of the matter is, let's just be honest, I wouldn't be here had it not been for the civil rights movement. I'm not saying that to say that, I'm not calling anybody here racist or anything like that. I'm just saying the reality of it, uh, my kids would have not have opportunities the, the way that they've had all of this. So I want to encourage all of us, take some time tomorrow 
Take some time tomorrow and think through and celebrate the impact that this movement has had on all of us. I don't usually do this because, uh, you know, you get in trouble but, uh, uh, recommending movies, but I want to recommend a film for all of us to see tomorrow or sometime soon. Now, uh, the little disclaimer, for children 12 and under, I wouldn't necessarily take them there because there's some language in the film. But the film is, is, is called uh, Hidden Figures. And I think it, uh, it is an amazing film. It's a true story about what three African-American, brilliant African-American women who worked for NASA in the 60s had to go through. It is a true story of their journey and their pilgrimage. And what it will do is it will help us to appreciate how far we've come, but it will also help us to be sensitive to the residue of these issues that are still with us. And I would encourage us to, to take part in those things and take advantage of them. Let's stand together. And the reason why we care about others' lives is because God through Christ cares about ours. And if we're here today and we don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I gotta tell you, he's the author of life. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And all we have to do is to turn from our sin and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I trust you as my Savior and Lord, and he will forgive us of our sins, and he will give us that new life in Christ and restore us to that. There'll be uh, staff members here and Stephen ministers here and um, some of our elders or leaders who are in this service. And if you've got any prayer needs whatsoever, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, there's some resources out in the lobby there, some ministry leaders we've invited to come and check them out as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and grace and thank you for the truth of your word and thank you, Father, for the gift of life. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, you are with us. Father, thank you um, that you will lead us and show us how to respond. There are opportunities to speak up for life all around us, Lord. There are opportunities to speak up for the unborn, to encourage women who are struggling with this decision, to offer hope, uh, Lord, to pour out love. Oh God, I pray that you help us to be sensitive. Lord, use us, we pray. May we enhance the dignity and the image of God on everyone that we come in contact with. Love others through us and grant them freedom, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen.